The first girl I ever remember having a crush on was in the third grade. I'm in Mrs. Derrick's class. Uh, she assigns me a seat on the far left, a little more than halfway back, but I'm by the window, which is awesome. So anytime Mrs. Derrick gets boring, I can look out the window at other kids on recess or squirrels, whatever. But then she assigns this girl named Raquel to sit in front of me. And that was awesome because I remembered Raquel from second grade. I was in Mrs. McCormick's class. Raquel was in the other second grade class at our elementary school. And I remember thinking she was pretty. And now she's in Mrs. Derrick's class and she's sitting right in front of me. This was amazing. And still to this day, third grade was my favorite year of elementary school. But that was about as far as my romantic experience went for a long time. Like I was a pretty good flirter in middle school and high school, just didn't have anything to back it up. Um, I went to a small church. Everybody knew who I was, knew my business. Everybody knew each other. And I think everybody was kind of waiting to see who the preacher was going to date first. And then everybody was going to know that that was the girl that I kissed first. And I didn't, I don't want anybody to know who my first kiss was going to be. I don't know why that was a big deal to me, but that's why I didn't ask any of the girls out in my youth group. And then I went to a small Christian school where everybody knew each other and I went there forever. And it was the same thing. Everybody knew everybody. And I don't know why that was such a big deal in my head, but in my senior year, we moved across the country and uh, I got to go to a brand new school. Now there's some pros and cons to that. One of the cons is that I graduated with a bunch of strangers. That's definitely a con. One of the guys I graduated with is still a friend, so that's a pro. Another one of the things in the pros column is that nobody knew me in this new school. Nobody knew that I had never had a girlfriend, that I had never dated, and that I hadn't kissed a girl yet. So, And I remember thinking about that when we were driving across the country. In this new school, nobody knows me. I, I could be anybody I want. Like, I could be Rike Suave. Like, I could be Don Juan. Like, nobody here would know right? That I'm fronting. Like, no, nobody knows me. I can be anybody I want. So like two weeks into my senior year, there was this girl named Diana. I thought she was cute. And I asked her out and like on our second or third date, I, mean, I kissed her right away. Like, I was just like, I'm not playing anymore, man. I can be anybody here. And uh, I was really relieved when I found out that she didn't know that that was my first kiss. That was a, still this day, I don't think, I don't think that she knew. knew. And I don't know. So Looking back, I don't know why that was such a big deal, but there were a few other girls that I dated my senior year. I, I think Diana and I dated or kissed for two months, and and then we broke that off, and then I, I went to college. In college, there were two different girls. I I went on dates with three different girls, and but I dated two of them, and both of them broke up with me. And then my my sophomore year was when I met Billie Jane, uh, my wife. And I saw her in the cafeteria with her older sister, who I knew. Uh, we weren't close friends at the time. And she said, hey, my sister's here. And I'm like, oh, great. Thanks for the warning. And then, you know, then I see her sister. I'm like, oh, my word. Like the heavens opened, right? The, the sun's sparkles came down and birds twittered and butterflies, whatever. Um, but when I, I saw Billie Jane, I was thinking, man, I would... I'd like to say that when I saw my wife for the first time, I knew I wanted to marry her. That's just not true. When I saw my wife the first time, I knew I wanted to kiss her before I died. Like that was it. Dear God in heaven, let me kiss that girl before I died. And I thought I had a chance until I found out who her roommate was. And her first roommate, her freshman year at college was Diana. 
the first girl I ever kissed. Now, Diana ended up her soft, my sophomore year, her fresh, freshman year, coming to the same school I did. And I, I thought she was coming to the college because she thought there was still a chance for us. But apparently, she actually just wanted to get a good education. And I just thought the world revolved around me. She ended up dating my roommate, who is still my best friend, Danny. But then when I found out that Billy Jane was in the same room as Diane, Diana, I thought I had no shot at ever getting to date. Like, there's no way in the world. Like, that's the first girl I ever, I ever kissed. That's like, I used to date her and I, I broke up with her. She's going to trash me to Billy Jane. This is going to go horribly. And it turns out that one of the pros of being a late bloomer romantically is that you don't have as much baggage that you carry into every other relationship. And that ended up playing into my favor because when Billy Jane brought me up in a conversation with her roommate, Diana, Diana ended up telling Billy Jane that I was, I was one of the nice guys and that I was never disrespectful to her or anything like that. And so that, that set me up for success. And I'm, I'm thankful to God for that. But not all of my other relationships were as clean and tidy as Diana's. Some of the other relationships that I was in hurt me far more. Uh, like one of the girls I dated my freshman year, I, I really thought that I loved her and that I would spend the rest of my life with her until she said that she didn't want to be around me anymore. Oh my word! Like that hurts so bad. And and when a romantic relationship gets complicated, doesn't it seem like it kind of spills over into every other relationship? So today, if if you're wondering if there's any type of godly wisdom that could help you get dating right, then maybe you could get marriage right. Like, I don't know if you've ever thought of that, right? So if you're looking for godly wisdom on how to handle your romantic relationships, I think it would probably be a good idea for us to look at God's word and to see if there's anything that God has to say about this. Now, what you'll find when you look into the Bible for advice on dating is that you're not going to find the idea of dating anywhere in the Bible because that's kind of a relatively new concept. Uh, in all of the human story, the way that it's always worked until just like the last 150 years is that if there was a girl you were interested in, the guy would go, the girl would never go, but the guy would go to his parents and the guy's parents would go to the girl's parents and they would enter like contractual negotiations that would involve dowries and property and the exchange of goods and resources, cows and chickens. And, and there was an investigation into the quality of your bloodline and all of that kind of stuff. And so naturally, the Bible doesn't talk about dating much. However, the Bible has a lot to say about living in community with other people and about how to conduct ourselves in relationships that honor God. So we're going to look at some of those verses, and I don't think it's going to be difficult for you to apply some of those verses to the decisions that you make on who and how you date. But it's those decisions I think I want to talk about first, the way that we make decisions. When, when you decide on a Friday night if you're going to get dressed up and go out to the movies or you're going to stay home and watch a movie on Netflix, you run that decision through a, a filter, and that filter evaluates the choices or the options that you've got in light of 
what's most important to you versus what's mo- least important to you. And those, those are called your values. Our, our church has four core values. We're biblically centered, outwardly focused, radically generous, personally involved. And those shape all the decisions and the look and feel and vibe of our, of our church family. Well, you have a set of values that determine the look and feel of your life and the quality of your relationships and the vibe that you bring into any of your relationships, romantic or not. And it's those filters I want you to evaluate in light of today's teaching. I think the number one value that you and I should share, regardless of our background or experience, if we claim to be a follower of God, comes from a verse written in the Hebrew Bible in Isaiah chapter 43. So if you've got your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 43. And here's what this verse says. Uh, verse four, Chapter 43, verse 7. Bring all who claim me as their God, and that isn't everybody who's listening to this teaching. But for a lot of us that are listening to this teaching, you would say that I, I, am a, I belong to God, the creator God, the one who sent his son, his only son, to die on the cross for me, who paid off my sin and rose from the dead with new life to give me new life. That's... That's my God. I know who he is. So God says, all of those people, bring all of those people uh, who claim me as their God. For I have made them, I've made them for something. I have made them for my glory. He said, it was I who created them. So our values are the filters through which we make decisions. And the number one value that we should be filtering our decisions through is who gets the glory for my life? I'll tell you how this is important. When I when I try to decide what I'm going to do, I have to decide who this is going to benefit. Now, God's been good to you. He's been good to me. He's given you your personality. He's given me my personalities. He's given you a job, possibly, or maybe the opportunity to get an education, the family that you have, the, the skill set that you have, the money you have in the bank, the, the resources, the influence, the connections, all of these things Come to us from God. There's a verse in James that says, every good and perfect gift came to you from God. Acts chapter 2 says that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance, that God is blessing those of you who are near to him and far from him in an attempt to woo you toward him, to soften your heart, to recognize that the good things that happen in my life, not all of them come from the work of my hands. Some of them Like I am the indirect beneficiary of things beyond my control. And God says, I want you to recognize that so that you know that it's me that's doing this for you. So in all of the blessings that we have in our life, God gives these things to us, according to Isaiah, for his glory, not ours. But when I determine what I'm going to do with my money, I've got to decide whether or not I'm going to use my money for God's glory or my own. And sometimes I choose wisely, sometimes I don't. When it comes to my relationships, I have to decide whether or not this this relationship is going to be leveraged for my glory or for God's glory. When it comes to my sexuality or the expression of my sexuality, that is also a gift from God. God invented the idea of sex. Like God's the one who designed this and he gave it to us as a gift. So when it comes to your fulfillment or enjoyment or expression of this gift, you have to decide, will I use this gift that God has given me for his glory or my glory? And that's the number one, I think, deciding filter. That's the first switch that's pulled that sends me either in this direction or this direction. Whose glory am I most concerned about and which direction I run in in this decision? 
and I, I, for me as a follower of Jesus, I, I have to acknowledge that the relationship that I'm in right now with my wife is either bringing God glory or it is not because I'm the one who's seeking to get glory out of this relationship. My relationship with you, if we're friends, or my relationship with my kids. Like, it is bringing God glory, or if it is not lived in line with God's will for my life, it's not for his glory, it's for mine, right? And so in light of that, I've got to be willing to make a different choice in any of my relationships where I see that it may not bring God God glory. Now, here's a promise. That if in light of who gets glory for the decision I make, if I'm willing to make the decision that bring God brings God most glory, I get a promise from Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. This was mentioned by me in the first week of the series. It was mentioned by Joseph briefly in last week's teaching in this series. And I'm mentioning it again. This is three weeks in a row. Somebody probably needs to memorize this verse. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So the question I have to ask is whether or not I trust Jesus to do what he said, to give me a rich and satisfying life. So in my dating relationships, I have to choose whether or not this relationship is going to be lived with the intentionality to bring God glory or to bring Sean glory. Now, if if I'm going to bring, if this relationship, this romantic relationship is going to bring God glory, like in my first relationship with Diana, I'm going to choose to do things that I know that would make God happy, even if it means that I'm delaying my own gratification. Does that make sense? And I'm willing to do that because I want my relationship with Diana to bring God glory. Now, Jesus said that if you do this, now there is a thief trying to rob me of a rich and satisfying life in my dating relationships with Diana or with any other girl that I've ever dated, right? But if I am willing to trust God enough to obey God in my life, Jesus said that when you choose to bring me glory in this dating relationship, I promise that this will end with a more rich and more satisfying life. And in this particular area and in this particular example of my dating relationship with Diana, which did glorify God, it ended up benefiting me and gave me a rich and satisfying life with Billy Jane, who I did not know two years earlier was going to end up <laughs> rooming with the girl I happened to be dating at the time. One small example. But in every area of your life, you've got to decide whether or not what you're about to do is going to glorify God or not. And if you believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he said that if you do it my way, I'll give you a more rich and more satisfying life, you will be more likely to bring this dating relationship into alignment with what God has to say about those relationships. First, I want to, before we get into some guidelines, I want to talk about some unhealthy motives that we have for dating. Uh, One of the unhealthy motives for dating is that we don't feel validated as a person unless there's a person who romantically validates me. I've, I've had that experience, and I've had friends that have lived that experience. Uh, in my freshman year, when the girl that I thought that I would spend the rest of my life with broke up with me, it left me feeling about myself, uh, left me feeling, it just left me feeling bad about myself. And I felt that since she had rejected me, 
that there was, um, that I had less value. And I remember worrying about what other people would say because she had broken up with me. And I became, I don't, desperate is not the right word. I wasn't desperate, but I was highly motivated to get into a new dating relationship quickly. Because I felt that if I could find somebody else who said I was worth spending time with, that that would mean that my life had more value. And that is, so naturally, what I had done because I was looking for my validation to come from this new girl, I was no longer looking for my validation from God. And what I had accidentally done was I had taken God out of the source of my validation and value and had put this girl I had hardly known in that seat. That's, that's a whole lot of pressure. And truthfully, that's a role she wasn't designed or was created for. And that will almost always lead to an unhealthy relationship. Other motivations that we have for being in a dating relationship is that we're just not okay being by ourselves. I can't not date. You and I both know people like that. They go from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship to another relationship. And what's consistent, what is consistent in all of their unhealthy relationships? You know what it is? It's them. So last week, the entire weekend teaching was dedicated to you learning to be a full and complete, whole, healthy person in your singleness unattached to anybody else. And that is the best foundation by which to enter into a dating relationship. And I, I, I think uh, third is that you just want to have fun. And this one's tough because dating can be fun, uh, but that's not the purpose of dating. Um, the danger in dating for recreation is that one of you sees this relationship recreationally while the other sees this relationship as the beginning of something more meaningful. Uh, and the problem is that you begin to look at your relationship through the eyes of a consumer. And once this other person no longer provides you the goods and services that you entered into this relationship for, you, you, you dump them like an empty soda can because you drank all there was to drink out of it. And now you're done. Man, that's, whew. And some of us have been in a relationship with somebody that was dating with a different motivation than us, and this is how we ended up feeling at the end of it. Biblically, the goal of dating should be to discern who I spend the rest of my life with. And the goal of marriage uh, is oneness and unity between a man and woman that reflects the oneness and unity between Jesus and his bride, the church. So truthfully, it's in this period of dating when we ought to be evaluating the potential for oneness and unity with another person. And in light of that, I'd like to share with you what I believe to be four questions. All of us are probably asking, but I want to give answers to those questions that come from Scripture. And the first question is this, when should I begin dating? Uh, Joseph covered this really well last week, and I hinted at it just a minute ago. But you should begin dating when you're a healthy person. Um, when you're not healthy, you bring all of that unresolved conflict and angst uh, into your relationships. And not only do you remain complicated, because there is no person who fully completes 
you, you get two broken people together, and now both of you just have twice as much brokenness to deal with. You don't automatically solve each other's brokenness. It makes your life more complicated, not less. You should begin dating when you're mature enough to walk away from a relationship that isn't taking you in the direction that God wants you to go in. If you don't feel you have the emotional or spiritual maturity to break up a relationship or to walk away from a person who's pulling you away from God, then you probably aren't ready to begin dating yet. Not if you want to stay spiritually healthy. And when should you date? When you don't need to be dating someone to feel okay about yourself. The second question is when you should date. Uh, By the way, and if you're a kid, it's when your parents say that you're old enough and mature enough. And I know no kid likes to hear that. Every teenager I've ever met, including myself, we all thought that we were more ready for things earlier than maybe what we actually, actually were. If you're a parent and you're having these conversations with your student, um, I'm hesitant to tell you our guidelines because I, I'm not, I don't believe that they automatically ought to, be, ought to be your guidelines. For us, our kids were allowed to double date at 15 and single date at 16. That was just, that was just us. But that leads me to the second question, uh, which, is, which is who to date. Uh, and I think this is probably the most important question of the four questions that we're going to be over. So when, when, when should I date? Two is, is who should I date? And here's what I always told my kids. And when I came up with this uh, when I was a youth pastor, and I used to tell our teenagers this. You're going to marry somebody that you dated first, am I right? Like you're probably, unless you're getting them out of a mail order catalog from Russia, right? Like you're going to date somebody before you marry them. So if you're going to marry somebody you date, then only date somebody you would marry. Like if you know that the person that you're, flirting with is no one you would ever consider marrying, then why in the world would you take the risk of entangling your heart with somebody on the front end you knew was not the kind of person you would ever find oneness and unity with? That just doesn't make any any sense. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? How can those who are children of God experience oneness and unity with those who do not follow God? Like That's a contradiction. It it doesn't work. I love what Joseph said about this last week. He said, don't date a Christian if you don't want to become one. I thought that was great advice. Because there's only three ways that this relationship can possibly end. The first is that you'll break up, or you'll end up becoming a Christian, or three, they'll stop caring as much that you're not, and their own passion for their own faith begins to dwindle. And you probably wouldn't want to do that to the other person. Dating a follower of Jesus, though, means that you're spending time with someone who's holding themselves accountable for their behavior toward you with a higher power than you. Uh, This was important in my dating relationship with Billie Jane. I loved that she had her own independent relationship with God because as I'm 
trying to please God in my relationship with her and sometimes in our dating relationship being tempted to violate my own conscience before God in my relationship with her. She, independent of me, had a relationship with God where she was trying to please God in the way we experienced our relationship with each other. What that did was it became a double buffer against our relationship ever becoming unhealthy. It was a huge advantage in our dating relationship. This means that the other person listens to God's Holy Spirit speaking to them in ways you never could speak to them. It means that you are both motivated to please God in how you treat each other, which ends up meaning that you treat each other better, with more deference, with more generosity, and with compassion and kindness. And since the oneness in marriage is a picture of the oneness between Christ and the church, it's important, I think, that you date someone who loves Christ like you do. I told my kids that what they ought to do is they ought to serve, serve I've, t- I've told other single adults, run after and pursue your relationship with God and serving him through your local church. And then look to your right and see who else is running in the same direction that you're running in. And when you find one of them that you think is a little bit cute, <laughs> reach out and grab your, their hand and just run in the same direction together. Date someone who has the same values as you. Now, I, I shared this in a, uh, in a, uh, a health class, uh, actually at Columbine High School in Colorado. Uh, I was invited to speak to their health class. And I told them that it was, it was incredibly important for them to marry somebody who shared their, their most closely held values if they wanted to have a happy, a happy life uh, with that person long-term. Um, if you're a hardcore Democrat, then don't date a hardcore Republican. Like, that's going to cause problems not only in your dating life, but if you end up falling in love with them and marrying them, that's going to be a constant source of friction for the rest of your life. There's a verse, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, that says this, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? So you have to decide what's most important to you. And if, and there's a we say, what's mo- what would I break up with someone over? Like that becomes a a very a very short list. But he says, how can two walk together unless they're in agreement? So you need to decide what's most important to you. And and as you get to know someone before you've even started dating to them, start look, dating them, start looking to see whether or not any of the things that maybe your top three are things you've ever even seen. In them, because you would probably, if those are your top three, those are probably things that you would want to see in them before you even went out on your first date. Things like, like if you're, like n- number one on the list should be that they don't root for the Yankees. Like that's got to be like, like way, way, uh, like they got to love Jesus and they got to hate the Yankees. That's got to be one. If you're a Patriots fan, don't, don't date a Giants fan, right? Um, if you have, if you have biblical sexual boundaries then date someone else who has those same boundaries. Like, how does this not make sense? Uh, If you give to God generously, then date someone else who also gives to God generously. I've seen this cause friction in a marriage where where one spouse was wanting to be radically generous with their money to the kingdom of God and God's kingdom purposes in the the world. And the other person was thinking about how to give as little as possible. And, And that became a constant source of friction 
and their relationship. And that's something they could have determined when before they had ever even gotten married together. Um, and that brings me to the third question. N- number one is when you should date. Uh, number two is who you should date. Three is how you should date. What biblical principles guide the way that we treat anyone that we're married to is what we're going to be looking at. So remember, the Bible doesn't have any specific verses on how we date because dating was is a relatively new concept, as I've already mentioned. But the Bible has a lot to say about how we treat people of the same gender and opposite gender. The Apostle Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, who was a single man. And first, this at the end of his first letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. So he doesn't say, treat him like he's your father. He said, treat him the kind of respect that you would want people to give your own father. And then he says, talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. So to the older men, if you're a man, give them the kind of respect and deference you would give to your father, to other men your age. Give them the kind of respect that you would give them if they were your brother. And then he says to Timothy, who's a single guy, verse 2, treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women And then he adds this phrase that he didn't add for any of the other categories, with all purity as you would your own sister. So why does he add that like that phrase, with all purity? He could have said, with the older women, treat like you would your mother. With the younger women, treat like you would your sister. But he added, with all purity. There's kind of like a little, know what I mean in there? Right? That, nah, I mean, right? Like that whole, with all purity, wink, wink. You know what I'm saying, Timothy? So he says, the guys that are your own age, treat with the kind of respect you would give your brother. With the guys that are older than you, give them the kind of respect you would give a father. The women that are older than you, give them the kind of respect that you would give a mother. And with the girls your own age, don't do anything with them that you wouldn't do with your sister. Now that that gives you more room than you're thinking, but probably not as much room as some of your other friends are taking. Here's my question. Could you, and I've, I've shared that verse with all three of my kids when they started dating. Could you hold hands with your sister and not go to jail over it? Yeah, you could hold your sister's hand. Could you could you kiss your sister and not go to jail over that? Y- y- you might not, but could you kiss your sister? The answer to the question is yes, you could probably kiss your sister and it not be weird to anybody. Could you make out with your sister in the basement while watching Netflix? In Arkansas, maybe. Outside of Arkansas, there's like, I'm sorry, that's an inappropriate joke. I'm sorry. Like if Cha, Cha, if you see this, I'm, she's from Arkansas. I'm just, that was, that was a bad joke. I probably shouldn't have said, but of course not. Then what Paul would say is, then that is not with all purity. If whatever you're doing in relationships, and I don't, like it doesn't matter if you're 17 and dating or 47 and dating. The advice, I believe, if you're looking to the scriptures for how you ought to handle your dating relationship and you're you're dating somebody who's godly they've got the same values then when you get to the question how far is too far the apostle paul says if it's something that you could not do with a family member then it's probably something you should not do with a dating partner so it gives you more room than you may have thought but not as much as some are taking the important thing here is to set boundaries and keep yourself accountable to someone. And my encouragement to you is to pick one or two older, spiritually mature adults, friends, that you can let have eyes on your relationship and ask you 
personal questions that you wouldn't want just anybody asking. Here's why it's important, Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. And that brings me to the fourth question, and that's this, why should I date? If the biblical plan for sexuality is marriage, and if the one context in which sexual expression is permitted by God is in a marriage between one man and one woman, we're gonna get more into that next week and into gender and sexuality in the last week of this series, then dating would be the evaluation stage on whether or not this person you're romantically interested in would be the kind of person you could experience unity and oneness with in the eyes of God. Biblically speaking, the end goal of dating should be married. So I think a logical question is this, do you want to be married? If not, then I'm not sure dating makes much sense to you, unless the alternative is that you end up toying with people's emotions. If dating is a recreational pastime for you, it isn't that for everyone. And the longer you date that person, the more likely one of your hearts are going to begin to attach to the other person. And the person whose heart isn't attached becomes consumeristic in that relationship and it becomes toxic for them. And then your hearts are broken. Rob Connolly started a church out of Grace Church during the pandemic called Resurrect Church. And he wrote a book on dating. And what he said was this, I, I thought it was a great perspective. He said, everybody you ever date that you don't marry ends in a breakup. And every breakup involves a broken heart. And then he said, when it comes to how often we date, right? He said, I guess the question is how many times you want your heart broken before you get married, right? Like that's, like that's real talk because all of this really matters to us because our hearts get so involved. So be careful. God's given us, I think, a pretty wide lane to run in, but there are definitely guardrails on this road that we need to stay between if we want to make sure that the way that we date and the people that we date don't end up complicating our lives unnecessarily. God's plan for you is holiness. Why? Because this brings him the most glory and it is the path to you living a more rich and satisfying life. And so ultimately you have to decide, like Eve, whether or not you believe that God can be trusted to keep his end of the deal. So if you right now find yourself in an unbiblical dating relationship, I'm going to ask you as a result of the teaching this morning, maybe what God's doing in your heart, to go talk about this relationship with a mentor, somebody who's a little bit older than you, a little bit wiser maybe even, and definitely somebody who has more spiritual maturity about your relationship. Let them know why you feel this relationship is unhealthy or maybe unbiblical, and ask them to help you to come up with next steps to correct the direction of this relationship. If, if they're in this service right now listening to me, and you guys in your dating relationship have crossed boundaries that God did not intend to be crossed until after marriage, then I think you ought to be talking about it this, this afternoon. Because right now, your relationship does not glorify God. Therefore, 
it will not ultimately lead to a more rich and satisfying life. In fact, there was a study that came out in the 2000s uh, from the University of Michigan that said that couples who cohabitate, I believe I'm not, it's either three or five times more likely to end in divorce than those who don't share that part of their lives until after they're married. Like there's real world evidence, and you'll know stories on how this doesn't work out for people like they thought. When you color outside the lines, it it makes the picture really messy, is what it does. And so my encouragement for you is to redraw biblical boundaries. Find a biblical, excuse me, find accountability partners that will help you stay on the right path. And I want to ask all of you that are not married, who want to be married someday, to start praying for your future spouse now. I've done that with all three of my kids. Uh, from the time they were actually babies uh, in diapers, I would walk in, I'd lay my hands on their head, and I'd pray for God to bless them. And then I would pray about half the time that wherever their future spouse is in the world right now, help their spouse to be a godly person, keep them safe and keep them pure and help them to someday raise my grandkids to know and to follow Jesus also. I don't think it's ever too late. If you're a parent and you have a child that's dating or will someday date for you to start praying that. If you've got small kids, then maybe you could start praying out loud in front of them wherever their future husband is or wherever their future wife is in the world right now. If your kid's if your kid's 10, their future spouse is probably already alive on the planet. Like that kid is going to marry into your family and the quality of their relationship with your child is going to have a dramatic impact on your life and possibly even the quality of your relationship with your child. Like I definitely think you ought to be praying for them now. And if you're starting to date, I think it would be a completely appropriate prayer. If you want to be married someday, dear God, wherever my future husband is, wherever my future wife is in the world, Bless them, keep them safe, help them to be godly, right? Keep them safe and pure, help them to make wise dating relationships because I'm going to be the one who helps them recover from this extra baggage, right? And help us to raise our future kids someday to know and to follow Jesus. I think that's a prayer that God would answer if you pray it. So I'm gonna have everybody, if you would, bow your head with me and we'll pray. God, I'm thankful that you care about every area of our lives, and, and this one especially. I, I pray, God, that we would consider our motives for dating, um, the quality of our dating relationships, the expectations that we have. God, help us to consider whether or not our motivation for the relationship that we're in right now is to please you or to please ourselves. Um, God, for, for, for those of us who are unhealthy, I pray that you'd help us to find a way to take some time and maybe to get some space so that we can become the kind of person the other person needs us to be for them, right? So that we can be okay in our singleness, so that we don't become codependent, so that we don't put expectations on them to be for us what only you can be for us. Gotta pray that we seek our validation, our worth, our value, not in how many other people are romantically interested in us, but whether or not uh, we're in relationship with you. I mean, truthfully, we have unbelievable value, whether we're in relationship with you, because we were worth loving enough to show up in the human story and to die for us. So God, I'm thankful for that. Help us to recognize the value that each one of us carry. Help us to treat other people with that kind of value. Help us to respect them, their boundaries. And God, help us to live uh, in alignment 
with what your word says will bring us to that rich and satisfying place. And for all the areas where we're out of bounds, convict us so that we can confess it and bring our life back into alignment. And when we do, bring us that rich and satisfying life. This is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen.